The following episode of The Book Guys is rated explicit for content and may contain lots and lots of violence. Brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. Why not? My name is Paul, the book guy, Alves. I'm going to play the jingles this week. Paul, the book guy. <laughs> Joined as always by our good friend in somewhere in North Carolina. Sir How you doing, Jimmy Goots? Doing great. It's great to have such a lovely night to podcast. I like that you don't work for Monsanto anymore. We can say uh, Sir Jimmy Goots. Yes, we can. <laughs> Give out your real name. Yes, long live heirloom vegetables. Amen. Amen, <laughs> my friend. Hey, the, the guy chuckling in the background there is Craig Damlo. Doesn't have a jingle. Hang on. Craig Damlo. <laughs> Instant jingle. There you go. You said you were going to cut that soapbox rocket clip. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and I am in uh, chilly Seattle. Chilly Seattle, like uh, chilly the country. Never mind. Yes. No, the city, <laughs> the state of Seattle, and somewhere in central Ohio of the <laughs> U.S. of A. Not only do we have the one and only Professor Allen. Hey, we do have his daughter, Emily, also joining us. Hello, Professor and Emily. Hello. Hello. I demand a jingle. Oh, hang on. Here uh, we go. Now, I was going to say... Was, it's Emily. Say, oh. <laughs> uh, Paul, um, yeah. you know, I've met Sir Jeff Smith. Yeah. Jeff Smith is a friend of mine. Yep. You, sir, are no Jeff Smith. No, definitely not. <laughs> And uh, gentlemen and lady, we are joined all the way from somewhere in Ontario, <laughs> Manford J. Am I pronouncing it right? Von Volte? Yeah, very good. <laughs> Author of comic books and other hooks, 21st Century Education, a fascinating read. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Nice to be here tonight. I got a little theme music. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> When guests bring their own jingles. That's production. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have thought of that. Uh, we're going to start uh, off as usual, just to sort of warm things up. We'll start off with... What's on your... What's on your Kindle, your nightstand? What's on your... What's on your Android device, on your fridge? What are you reading? Well, one day they'll, they'll have Kindle on your fridge, for sure. What? <laughs> I wasn't going to ask what that meant. Well, yeah, they have digital fridges now with, like, you know, screens it's and true. internet. You can, it's you true. can get your podcasts on your fridge. Yeah, yeah they, they got JavaScript in them things now. Yeah, and they spy on you while you eat. Yay! <laughs> I don't need the government count, counting my calories. I, I really don't. Neither do I, Emily. Emily, we'll start with you since you're so enthusiastic. Is there any uh, comic book or book that you've been reading lately? Well, I now work... 
my dad's making hand motions because there's only one microphone. Uh, since yeah. it's usually Sir Jimmy I'm making hand motions at, but that is totally different. <laughs> we also usually middle finger motions. Yeah. Uh, I now work at a library, so I'm trying to keep aware of some things that are going on. And so, poking around in the young adult section, I found uh, Edie Baker's The Frog Princess was being sort of pimped out. So, picked those up, reread those. Haven't read those since I was like 13. Eh, they're they're pretty good. Uh, in significantly darker, sadder, more emotionally moving. Reading, I picked up a copy of Identity Crisis, the DC miniseries from 2004. Read that, Ooh. cried like a child. And you know, Emily, a lot of the the young and, adult uh, stuff because comic books can be good literature. Yes, they can. Of course, of course. Emily, I got to ask now. Now that you're you're working in the library and, and whatnot, can you compare maybe the young adult fiction today to what it was when uh, you were younger? Well, I mean, we we now live in a post-Twilight world. Right. And there's nothing we can do about this. So It's all vampires and romance. Uh, wear tigers, Paul. Wear tigers. <laughs> oh, it's the worst thing. It's the worst thing. We have all of them. Uh, so, you know, what I'm more aware of, the... The fantasy, young adults, Tamara Pierce, E.D. Bakers, all of those sorts of things that were good literature that children could enjoy and didn't have sparkle pyres in them. <laughs> they're sadly underrepresented these days, but they're still there. Still there. Have to go back and remind myself, young adult fiction can still have merit. You see, Emily, when I was a young adult, it was, uh, it was uh, Lord of the Rings and a dupe. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah. <laughs> that was it, <laughs> and, and some Pink, yeah. Pink Floyd on the you know on the record player. <laughs> but now I'm aging I'll, myself. <laughs> I'll explain the record player to you after the show, Emily. That, you thank you, thank you. Hey, Professor, what's on your nightstand or Kindle or on your uh, fridge screen? <laughs> yeah, on on my fridge should be a big sign that says "Don't open." But anyway, <laughs> mine too. Uh, uh, I'm a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes. And one of my favorite series in sort of the expanded Holmes universe is a series written by Laurie R. King. And the most recent one in this series is called Garment of Shadows. And so far, I'm about halfway through and really enjoying it. What sort of sets this series apart or the gist of this series is that it's an older, retired Sherlock Holmes and the young woman, Mary Russell, during the course of the series becomes his apprentice and then even more as the series goes by. I think there are about 10 or 12 books in the series so far. Okay. So it's the, it's the Mary Russell series uh, in the Sherlock Holmes universe by Laurie R. King. And of course, Sherlock Holmes never said elementary, my dear Watson. That is correct. Just he said it. them both, just not at, not at one sentence. Not at the same time, right? <laughs> Who's next? Sir Jimmy, what's on your... Uh on your cutting uh, table there, where you hollow out the free books at freehollowbooks.com? The free hollow book of the month, you know, at freehollowbooks.com, we give away a free hollow book every month. Last month, nobody found it. Oh, no. It's still sitting on the website, so if somebody's listening, go find it. I'll send it to you. It's free. Ship it anywhere in the world. Hang on, Jimmy. They just got to browse the website, find the free one, order it? Yeah. That's great. 
Yeah, and I usually hide it in all the comments, you know, all the little smarmy anecdotes that I write about each one of the books is where the clue is. It just doesn't have, it's not on the front page. Hey, free book, here you go, boom. Right, right. You know, I gotta ask you, uh, Jimmy, because just because I'm, I'm, you know, in the forties, so I, I kind of clue into all this online stuff a little bit later than you know the kids do. But have you ever heard of Etsy.com? E T S Y. No. It's all handcrafted stuff. Yes, I've heard of it. Get on there and put your books up there. I'm telling you, worth it. All right. It's well, all right. Sometimes has some crackpot ideas, so to speak, but that one's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'll do it. Sorry, go ahead, Jimmy. And? And, <laughs> and I have not been poking around in the young adult section. Oh, hey now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Settle down, young man. <laughs> we'll leave that to Craig. But, you know, I have... Um, I've got all these books that are on order. I've got eight or nine books that are coming, and I'm tracking them. So I assume that next week I'm going to have something to report on them. Like I said, I'm still looking forward to that uh, Ford Fairlane book with Andrew Dice Clay. Hey. (laughs) Something up the clock, right. (laughs) And Mr. Damlo, because we saved the best for last, we're going to save our guest for last. Uh, Mr. Damlo, you always have some interesting picks for us. Please tell me you have another one this week. Look, I, I have a physical book. That's, that's pages turning. That's a big one. It is a big one. Thank you. Um, oh, I hang read, on. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I read uh, Business Model Generation uh, by uh, Alexander Osterwalder and Yevs Pigner. Pig- I'm sure I'm pronouncing his name that wrong. Sounds I'm like apologizing a Fra- now. Sorry, but that, that sounds like a, a Frangie Starship name. Business Model Generation. Right, and it, it's nonfiction. Uh, it's uh, it, it's actually you know, it's an interesting book, especially if you're not a business person, and I'm not a business person, because uh, it's there's a lot of drawings in it, which makes it easy to read for slow people, uh, and also uh, it's just kind of nice to see. I think no matter what you're doing, uh, to get a handle on why the company might be doing what they're doing. And they do a lot of examples of big companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Skype. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good book if at all you're interested. Or if you watch uh, Shark's Tank or Dragon's Den, uh, yeah. it's a, uh, another good book to read so you know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Approximately how many times do they use the word synergy? None. That's, that, that, that's, oh, one of the, that's one of the big buzzwords now. Right. Or do they optimize their deliverables? No, the word they use, I think, I think by rule they have the word innovation on every page. There you go. It's got to be there. Right. And let's turn to our guest, Manfred J. Von Volte, who I hope I pronounced his name right. Perfect. Uh, sir, nice. is there anything on your nightstand, Kindle, or on the yeah. screen of your microwave? Yeah, I'm reading. Um, one was a gift, the the autobiography of Mark Twain. Nice. Who, he he insisted on releasing it a hundred years after his death because he felt that uh, you know people might be more intellectual and able to handle his commentary a uh, hundred years later. <laughs> I don't know nice. about that. Uh, and the other one is a, a graphic novel which which I, I love a lot, and I'm reading uh, the whole series. It's by a couple of Canadian guys um, called Kill Shakespeare. 
and it's a it's a fascinating book because you have to really know Shakespeare in order to read it. Uh, basically, what happens in this universe is that the different characters from the Shakespeare from Shakespeare's canon of work actually come together in one story. And in order for you to really understand it, you have to understand the the source uh, material that it comes from. It's really um, it, it appears quite simplistic as as a you know, a graphic novel or whatnot, but really, in order for you to get it, you've got to uh, you've got to have some uh, literature background. It's a great read. Nice, great read. Very nice. And uh, you know what, gentlemen, we will start and lady. Let's start off the show now that we've got our what are what's on your Kindle and whatever done with nonfiction. Comic books and other hooks. 21st century education by Manfred J. Von Volte. I've got a copy right here in my hand. Signed by the author. Thank you. Personalized and everything. Hey, you're welcome. And it touches uh, on a lot I, of topics. I, I, just, I, I just need to ask Manfred how closely related he is to Victor Von Doom. You know what? Uh, it's kind of funny. I do, I do, uh, last year I did these presentations with the Toronto District School Board. And believe me, they never call anybody from an independent school. But uh, they called me up and asked me to do some uh, literacy programs. I did one, and I ended up doing eight of them last year. And one of the dads showed up, and he said, I thought it was a joke because he said, uh, your name was Manfred Von Volte. He goes, I was expecting uh, uh, Von Doom to show up. <laughs> so I actually uh, my... signed the book to him, Von Doom. <laughs> that's that's my, my, my personal favorite, some say role model. So. This, 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 see, this is why I thought, Manfred, it would be great to have you on with uh, Emily and Alan, who are our resident comic experts, and they also run the Relatively Geeky ne- Network podcast on iTunes. It's awesome. Check it out. <laughs> it's really good, guys. I will. <laughs> I promise. I promise. But, but this is a book, uh, Manfred, I, I've been going through. I'm about three-quarters way through it, and it really yeah. touches on a lot of topics we've talked about on the show. Um, I've read some surveys, just so our listeners don't have to. Sure. And, and we're making progress, but still men and, uh, and, and male children, boys, are still way behind females as far as reading. I mean, we have to get more uh, male children and, and men reading because, come on! And uh, yeah. one of the great ways to do that is, of course, find something they're interested in already and get them reading that, and then slowly move them to Chaucer and, you know... <laughs> So, you know, t- tell us a bit is, about your book. I like, I like to hear in the author's own words. Tell me about comic books and other hooks. Yeah, well, it, it was sort of, you know, I've been teaching language arts or, you know, in some circles called English uh, for 16 <laughs> years now. And I used to notice that by the time, you know, especially boys, because I taught at a boys' school for a long time, by the time they got to grade, between grade three and grade five, they kind of were resigned to their fate. They right. say they would tell me, "Oh, Mr. V, I, I'm not a good writer. I, I don't like reading." The, the parents would say the same thing, and it was almost, uh, uh, you know, kind of a default position. I'm like, "Come on, you know, you got to, you got to get out of this a little bit." So I bring comic books, uh, you know, into the picture, and it would hook them on a lot of things. And it was interesting what they would get um, pulled in by. Uh, a lot of guys that I had reading Iron Man became very interested. Funny enough, in finance, uh, nice. kids who are reading Batman uh, would bring in popular mechanics and, and other things where they, 
you know, in those magazines, they actually took apart the Batmobile and, and some of the science that was involved in these comic books, and they wanted to pursue that. And the fascinating part is once they got out of that default position of saying, you know, I can't read, I can't write, you know, they started to really, really explore literature. And the problem I find in schools is that a lot of the books that boys and girls are reading are often um, too text-heavy in the beginning. Yeah. Um, have incredible descriptions, but not a lot of action. And, and a lot of the, um, the majority of the children, boys and girls, are, are looking for, uh, you know, robust characters and, and, and action in, in what they're reading. And those books are devoid of that. Or if they are, it's more the on the line of, oh, well, he should, she should, you know, she did this and he did that. And what's going to change now? And a lot of times, frankly, that's too subtle for a lot of kids, and it's certainly too subtle for a lot of boys. So they, they need that kind of literature. And I found once you got them started on that, it was great because it opened a whole new world to them. Boys love reading nonfiction. They want to read manuals. They want to know how to put robots together. Right. They're, they're dying for the hobbies, and, and I'm in my 40s too, that we would naturally do as kids, but we don't do them anymore in school, and we don't read about them. And a lot of times you've got to connect reading to doing and writing to doing. Uh, I think one of the worst things you can tell a student is, you know, write me two paragraphs about what you did this summer about, or, or about what you want to do. They don't have the experience, you know, necessarily right. to do that, you know. Right, or, or, the, or the summer sucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was boring. <laughs> it's a two-word review. Write me a two-paragraph uh, story about a robot, and your kids will write forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's you all know, just, you, you know, it's, you it's, talk, it's channeling that for them, right? Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, nonfiction there. I, I just saw a recent uh, top ten, you know, bestsellers list, and there are three or four Minecraft manuals mm-hmm. on top ten, top twenty, you know, lists. And those are being bought and read by somebody. I, I, I love Minecraft. a lot of the people you're talking about. I love Minecraft, Absolutely. Professor. These, these it's like Lego. It's Sorry. like it's like Lego. Uh, it, it really uh, it it's imaginative. You know, what I mean, they love putting together little worlds out of single blocks, and mm-hmm. that's why I love Minecraft. It's uh, I know Jimmy, your your kids into Minecraft. No bot. He's in the other room playing Minecraft right now. Eating, <laughs> uh, yeah, eating it's, burritos. It's, it's basically he's virtual the Lego version. Yeah, it's virtual he knows Lego. We're podcasting. You know, they, they put worlds together out of blocks, and it's, it's, you know, it stimulates their, their you know, imagination. You know, and one step further, which is really huge with kids now, and, you know, it's manuals and programming is the Lego Mindstorms. Oh, yes. And, yeah. uh, you know, my current school, uh, the German International School Toronto, you know, we've got a robotics team together, and this is something that the, the kids have never done before. And all you need to do is talk for about five minutes in the classroom, and they're off, and they are doing. And they're very enthusiastic in this kind of thing, and... You know, if we take a look at the economy these days, yeah, okay, the U.S. economy is improving, the Canadian economy, okay. But, you know, you, you look at things, we've become uh, people that are more consumers than innovators. And I think, you know, if we return to this type of teaching where we're, we're teaching, you know, experience and we're teaching, you know, uh, construction and innovation, uh, things will again turn around in our favor. And, and the kids are really thirsty for these things. It's... Um, they 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 know what is uh, you know at one level and they know what's at another and, and they're really looking for the genuine. 
Now, now, Manfred, you touch on a lot of topics as far as getting children into reading. And, of course, the comic book, uh, which in the 50s and 60s was thought of as, well, well th- sorry, 30s, 40s, 50s, sure. was thought of as, like, crap. Yeah. To the point they created the Comics Code Authority that would have to rule on each comic book and make sure it was okay to give to children. And, uh, you know, but really, handing a child a comic book that they're interested in, and they'll sit there and read. Is that not a gateway to get them to actually reading a novel at some point of their own volition? Neil Gaiman, who writes, uh, who had written such titles as Sandman, has a very famous quote. He says, read anything they give you. Read anything that they think is junk, but certainly keep reading. And, and this is a thing I think a lot of parents and teachers perhaps forget. You know, the, the comic book for the child who is an avid reader or the child who doesn't want to read is just another gateway, uh, another way into, right. into reading these things. And the interesting part about comic books is, yeah, the, you know, they may have been regarded a certain way in, in, in the early decades, 30s to maybe even 60s, but the audience, there's a cool yeah. who have grown up with them and, and the writers who have also grown with them. And it's like going to a rock concert of a, of a popular band, let's say like the Rolling Stones. You'll see four you know, different generations in that audience. Right. It's the same with these books. Um, yeah, the writing's different and perhaps they're more for a little bit uh, of an adult audience now, although DC and Marvel are making ones more suitable for children. But they do have a significant following. And you look at people, one of the things that I'm very interested in, in looking at and beginning to look at, you look at the people who read them, who follow them, who buy them, and you look at what careers they are in. It's a, it's a fascinating comparison uh, you know, of these people who've read them all along and to what they do today. Um, they, they have not, uh, as the comics code, uh, you know, uh, people have warned, they have not become uh, degenerates who, right. who are... Uh, <laughs> You know, out of work and or who are doing uh, menial things. They no; these are uh, ma- mainly professional people, uh, people who have gone on in their education, uh, in their desire to do what they love uh, as a career, and and I think that the books still do that for people. They they open up an, an imaginary world, and they open up a world of culture. Um, a lot of people who do not uh, speak English very well, ESL or what we call ELL learners, people who have a, a limited English buy these books uh, for the growth of their language, but also for their window into our Western culture. A friend of mine who owns a comic book shop uh, in Toronto, the Comic Book Lounge and Gallery, uh, told me there's a, a nurse or a doctor from India who comes in every month and buys about 50 titles and sends them back to India. And this is a country where they're really, uh, you know, honing their English and and, and you know, also a lot of immigration to Canada, and these are—it's uh, a very attractive proposition uh, for uh, a different kind of gateway for um, uh, for newcomers to the country. Yeah, and, and in India, I mean, it's, it's all, in English is almost a second language at this point mm-hmm. because they're, they're focusing on IT and, and uh, various uh, you know digital work. Right, and uh, you take a look at the people who are advising these writers. You take a look at the writers themselves. Um, again, someone had commented that, yes, there's less images in the books today. I, I, I give you that. But I think the story ideas, the ideas of sort of non-sequence uh, writing, uh, like A plus B equals C writing, is, is, is certainly there. 
but there are a lot of uh, nuanced ideas of jumping around in plot time and foreshadowing and predicting. Things that, if you look at any good curriculum in language arts, are certainly things that uh, that teachers want the, the children to learn. And they are right there uh, as a natural application in these books. Now, your you book, know, you, comic you, you, books, uh, sorry, go you ahead. Talked about, so you, you talked about that attitude in the, in the 40s and 50s. And, uh, you know, uh, Paul mentioned uh, the little comic book podcast network that Emily and I have. And she just recently... Uh, did an episode uh, where she talked about the infamous classic Seduction of the Innocent by Frederick Wortham, and he had a couple of sort of dynamite quotes and thoughts about about uh, comic books in the schools. Yeah, uh, a lot of the book, I will say, is sort of a little what you'd expect. It's It's of the 50s, looking down on comics, that sort of standard sort of intellectual viewing of this anti-literary trash. But there were some quotes that really stood out, and there was one specifically about schools, which I just blew my mind. Uh, he said that reportedly there was a, a large number of schools that were starting to include, in 1954 this is, comic books in their curriculum and specifically illustrated versions of the classics. And he decried this as the surest sign of the, the self-destruction <laughs> of American education and literacy. That it, it, quote, emasculates the classics and will never reveal to children the world of good literature. Which is basically the exact opposite of what you found to be true. Man, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it, it's like this. Can you hand a one-year-old a Rubik's Cube and expect them to solve it and be interested in puzzles? Or do you hand them like one of those, uh, you know, the Fisher-Price simple, you know, shape things and get them, slowly move them into the Rubik's Cube? You can't just hand, you know, a five-year-old Chaucer. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I want to comment on something, too. You know, the, the 1950s, um, you know, from a historical point of view, we tend to romanticize it quite a bit. Uh, leave it to Beaver, the perfect family. Right, but if you were right. really, if you were to really look at it, there's a lot. I would say a significant uh, amount of Americans, and I dare say Canadians, that were not as literate as perhaps we are now. And yeah, perhaps at one level, at at some level in schools, the the non-illustrated full text classics were very important. But I'm curious, um, you know, to look at the other side of the coin. How many people were still illiterate in, in the 1950s? How many uh, students who could not right. access this type of literature uh, remained so? You know? And, you know, I, I would compare it to literacy rates today, uh, which, which I'm, I'm guessing are, are, are higher now. Um, also, in the 1950s, we don't have this proliferation of uh, instant media and instant gratification, where perhaps there was more time to uh, uh, to read the classics, to to become involved in them. Certainly, um, 50 years before uh, or 70 years, when Dickens wrote his classics in, in the 19th century, people rushed out and, and bought these things. Now we have all sorts of media, but you know, I think our literacy rates are higher, and Sure, the, the, the non-illustrated texts certainly have their place, but if we can give people a gateway larger than perhaps the narrow gate of the 1950s, uh, 
Um, I think that's valid. Um, and Ma- and Manfred, let's let's look at also in modern day versus let's say the forties, fifties, thirties, twenties. Being uh, illiterate meant you couldn't read. It didn't mean that you didn't read books. Whereas mm-hmm. today, someone who doesn't read books and the last book they read they were forced to in high school 20 years ago <laughs> still goes on Facebook every day, has full conversations through the tippin, uh, the, the, sorry, through the typed word and the written word and responds, typing on their keyboard, can form complete sentences, can read everything in their Facebook feed, reads their Twitter feed, reads websites, and at the, at the end of the day says, I don't read books. But whereas, you know, in the 1920s, if they said, I don't read books, it meant they couldn't even read the side of a, you know, microwave package. Mm. You know, they, they wouldn't know how to read the instructions on their microwave uh, dinner. Right. Just, um, just a comment here. I've, I've quickly looked this up. <laughs> and the literacy rates in the 1950s um, in the United States were anywhere between 58% to 70% where now they're close to the high 90s. Which there you is, go. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. One thing uh, em- Emily found, again, in the, in the Seduction of the Innocent book, and some in- another I- interesting correlations about li- literacy as well. Yeah. There are many, many criticisms to take with Seduction of the Innocent, and I did take it to task, I think, in a, a fairly intellectual-ish manner that, as a person with a sociology degree who studied these sorts of things, I was very sensitive to correlation and not causation. Uh, but many of his subjects were uh, illiterate from poor income brackets, uh, were living in poverty or had broken homes, were homeless, uh, tended to get into a lot of trouble and read comic books. And he tended to take that first one, or the, the final point, to be the cause of all of these social ills, mm. rather than a simple correlation. But uh, that, was, that was something that I found to be really problematic, was looking at all of these poorer young people and assuming that because they read comic books, that is why they had poor reading comprehension. To me, that seems like a form of escapism. Indeed, like mm-hmm. it, it, it actually does make a ton of sense. It's if if you have a terrible life at home, like yes, Superman is a power fantasy, which is something he's very critical of. But on the other hand, if you're entirely without power or without any sort of influence, completely powerless in your real life, even as a thirteen-year-old, that's something you actually kind of need at a psychological level. Whether it's Harry Potter for us nowadays mm-hmm. or whatever it is, you need that, you need that escape. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it just, the, you know, it, it's, it's easy to sit back 65 years later or whatever and, and say, well, he was so short-sighted. And yeah, definitely is. But just not even being able to conceptualize that comic books have value as an educational tool is... Almost hilarious. Absolutely. Standing, standing where we are now in the Absolutely. 21st century. And, and I have to ask, Manfred, this is Paul. Uh, Manfred, what, what brought you to write comic books and other hooks, 21st century education? I, I think that um, teaching did. Um, 
you have you have in Ontario and and I'm I'm sure in a lot of other places where I do read uh, a bit of a crisis in education and the crisis is this I I find on one end um, students and and, and children uh, younger students older students they're a little bit haunted by the question what if right um, and I wanted a sort of a vehicle to say to people you know. Stop teaching to the middle. Stop teaching to the average um, of what you can do. Um, teachers will often, and rightly so, say you know they don't have the resources. They right. uh, they they have big classrooms. Okay, and, and you, know, you know what? Often often they do um, not. They don't. And, and they don't. But one of the things you know that that can be done, and and again very cheaply, um, is to start looking at your classroom. You know, a little bit different. Sometimes we call this differentiated learning, where you know we don't have to always go to a text to paper or pen to paper assignment or teaching lesson. Asking ourselves, are we talking too much in one hour? Are the children talking to each other? Are they and, doing and, something? And Manfred, I'm going to give you a prime example of that. Uh, the last Comic Con here in Toronto I went to, we'll call her because she wants to remain anonymous. Teresa, the librarian, came along with us. And uh, she was buying a whole bunch of uh, Walking Dead comic books yeah. on sale, like secondhand, you know, uh, pre-read. And I asked her, why are you buying all those Walking Dead? She was buying like three, four copies of each issue. And she said, well, there's a lot of kids in my, uh, in my high school. She's a high school librarian. Sure. Said that they're not into reading. And these things are not on the curriculum. But we do get a little bit of uh, cash to, you know, buy some stuff that the board doesn't send us. And I choose to come here and, and buy these things on sale. And uh, I'll get the kids into... The kids love zombies. Mm. They love all that crap. So yeah. she said, well, I'll get them into reading these uh, Walking Dead books, even though they might be questionable as far as the Catholic school board is concerned. Sure. <laughs> but she's going to get a bunch of yes, kids... Yes, they are. <laughs> to, well, but that's she's going to get a bunch of a kids idea, that are into zombies to read these zombie books and, you know what, hand them a... You know, she, she even hands them a... You know, a dictionary. Hey, if there's a word you don't know what it means, here you go. Mm-hmm. We have a magical book that tells you what it means. Yeah, and, and, you and, know, and she's doing it with her own with money. Dictionary too. Um, can you imagine an assignment where you'd go into class and you'd hand you'd hand the students thirty words and say, "Okay, look them up." <laughs> Good luck yeah. with that. Or, or putting <laughs> up uh, thirty words on a board and say, "Here's a dictionary. Let's let's look these things up." But if right. you've got something, you know that that pulls them in, that's different. Right, like like in your book, when when the the kids uh, uh, reading Iron Man and finds out he's the chairman of the board, and has to like this is pre Google has to go to a dictionary find out what a chairman is. Yeah, that's yeah. what pulls them in, right? Yeah, or 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 any or, or any of the science questions. You know, we um, I think would be fascinating would be to create a science an actual science text out of some of the science that is in uh, in these comic books because it is. It is unbelievable uh, the boundaries that these books actually uh, actually push, um, not only in vocabulary but the the, the, the sheer ideas. Um, I remember we were reading some of these in grade five, and then we would cover uh, some uh, unit in electricity. Um, I didn't have to go through half of the terms because a lot of the a lot of the children knew exactly what these terms were right. from uh, some of the books that we were reading. Uh, fabulous uh, forward 
uh, thinking in many of these things. And and sometimes, you know, we uh, part of the book was that we often uh, take children too much at face value. Oh, they're in grade five. They can't possibly do X. Well, you know what? Yeah, they can. And even if they don't get it right, give them the experience to do that. You know, right. have them try to build a robot. Why doesn't it work? Or why does it work? Or why, when we mix these chemicals, did it do that? And you know, why did? Where's the genesis of this experiment? Well, it's in the comic. And, and one thing I, I really advocate with these things is that they they point us to finding our own experiences, to self-discovery. It's not always teacher to student, but it's teacher to the it's student to the outside world, making some really valid connections. And, and that's real learning when education becomes experience and it becomes an active memory not some short-term memory they uh, they just had to memorize and give back to you on a test this is a, a different matter excellent and uh, Manfred where can we find comic books and other hooks where can the constant readers find this yes well you can find it on Amazon uh, worldwide uh, all the different sites have it if you're in Canada like myself you can certainly order it from chapters which they have uh, stocked uh, a quantity of them. You can also download it from Kobo uh, for the very low value of, I think, $3.50. What a deal! Um, so it's available everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And I highly recommend this to uh, any parents of young children. Uh, get them into the comic books and read this book and you'll understand why I'm saying that. Uh, definitely, if you're a teacher, this is a must-read. Comic books and other hooks, 21st century education. Now, guests... And host, stick around. We are going to play a little short uh, song at, in the middle of the intermission here by Shinobi Ninja called Rock Hood from the NBA 2012 soundtrack. With their permission, they are constant readers and book guys show lovers. So we have permission from them to play a little song during our break. And this is a time where we can all relax, refill our coffees, you know, take the dog for a walk. And when we return, we'll talk about comics. Why not with Alan and Emily? And hopefully, Manfred, you'll stick around for the rest of the show? I will, yep. Nice. Be right back, folks.
guys. Thank you, Shinobi Ninja from Brooklyn. NY. Thanks for being constant readers. And book guys show listeners. And we had to do that twice because we have this echo going on. Hello, Skype. Come on, Skype. Don't fail us now. How you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing great. It, it might be my fault. I had my Echo app running. Hey, I'll get your app, Echo app. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Manfred, Emily, hey. Jimmy, Alan. Hello. Craig, let's do this. Hey. Comic books, comic books, comic books. Uh, we're going to talk comic books because we have so many comic book aficionados and experts around. And uh, I have a clip to play, uh, Professor Allen. I don't know how you feel about this, but this is a clip from IGN. They're talking with one of the writers, co-writer Toby Kebbell, about the new Fantastic Four film coming in 2015, which is, by the way, nothing to do with Marvel. It's a Fox movie. But uh, let me uh, cue this up, and let me know what you think afterwards. You can't say much about um, Doctor Doom, but... In your mind, is Doctor Doom a villain, or is he a misunderstood or tragic character like Koba? Well, Doom is we're playing him. I mean, this is like, thankfully, a very realistic, lo-fi kind of attempt at a superhero movie. Okay, I'm gonna pause it right there, Professor. I'm speaking directly to you. the The book is called the comic book is called Fantastic Four. It doesn't sound so fantastic, does it? So far, it doesn't. Does realism come into the word fantastic? <laughs> Let's continue. Like, and, uh, now, I know that DC has flubbed it all the time, and so has Fox, other than maybe the, Mar- the, the, the X-Men movies. But DC has flubbed it all the time with, with films, and here they are again. Now they're, they're thinking they can do the same they did with Fantastic Four uh, that they did with uh, Batman. You know, um, Josh Trank, who, who did Chronicle... He did that kind of realistic, and regardless of what you think of it, he did a lot with very little. And that's the same approach that was taken on, on this one. I can tell you a couple of things. He's not Von Doom. He's Domashev. And my whole thing was getting his voice just right. I've watched the cartoon. I've seen some... Did you get that, Professor Allen? They have a different yeah, name. I got that. Doom is not Von Doom. So much. And when I was a kid, that voice I imagined was the voice I tried to portray. It was that voice of a person who's been in a country. You know, when I was a kid, it was, you know, a, an Eastern European who's been in England. They kind of have an English accent, but you can tell they're not from there. Yeah. And so now this is Von Doom, or Domashev, as we've got him in this movie, and he's in America. So I did the American accent with that kind of hint, that element. Now, we got him as Doom because he's a programmer. And on in in wherever he is, chat rooms, he's Doom. So they're they're the only bits I can give, just because you sure are enough. a solid fan, and I hope yeah. it's not upsetting anyone. But the voice for me was so vitally important. Oh, I'm gonna cut it off right there. So Paul, Profe- I got a comment. <laughs> yeah, go <laughs> ahead, Professor. No, it's it's Manfred. So Manfred, yeah, go ahead. Now I want to take a minute to address Marvel <laughs> Studios. Yeah. Whatever you have to do, take out a loan. Uh, make movies until 2030, get the rights back from Fox, and make the movie we all want to see, Avengers vs. X-Men. Yes. Full stop. Thank you. Thank you. And, and you know what? And Fantastic Four. Um, like, look at what Marvel did with 
Guardians of the Galaxy, one of the most unknown comic books of their whole repertoire that everyone said, why in the F are you spending $150 million on an unknown comic book? And they blew it out of the park yep. to where it became the number one, uh, first of all, the number one soundtrack on iTunes across the world, the number one movie for months. And someone flubbed Fantastic Four. Fox, I'm looking at you. Awful. And now, now, they're, now they're trying there's to screw a, it up the third time. There's a chance that when this movie is done, that will technically make four Fantastic Four movies. Because Roger Corman made that yeah, low-budget one. One was so it's, bad that they, they burned all the copies and buried them with the E.T. video games in the <laughs> desert. But it's possible that the best portrayal of Dr. Doom is the one from that Roger Corman movie. Right. Yes. He actually wasn't yes. that bad at Dr. Doom in that movie. Right. And he's not been as good since. And Dr. Doom is not a villain. He's an anti-hero. Right. <laughs> exactly. If you think Dr. Doom, uh, Dr. Doom is a villain, you don't, you don't get him. Yeah. Hey, Paul. Uh, oh, actually, never mind, Paul. Professor Allen. Yes. Yeah. Is this Big Hero Six movie? Is did somebody told me at work today that that's from a comic book? Very loosely. Do you know more, Emily? I have never heard of this thing. All okay. I I know it's officially a Marvel property, but not really. I think it was part of. I, I don't know. I think D- DC was doing something sort of like this of trying to get an anime manga ish team going together anime some I, I don't know yeah uh anna one girls something like that i think that's sort of what this is that it's, it, it's v- very loosely based on a uh, comic or manga that is very loosely based to marvel yeah. well, let, let's get back on the topic of, of of the fantastic four uh professor yeah how bad is it that uh, Marvel doesn't have this property at this point? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with very, very, very. I mean, I, I, I'd love to see... You gotta, you, you've, got, you've got to sell everything you've got. You yeah. Gotta, you, I, I, I think you trade... If you're Disney, you trade ha- Hannah Montana straight up for the Fantastic Four. No questions <laughs> asked. <laughs> but, but, I mean, let, let's give props to Marvel because... They did sell this property when they were basically down oh, the oh. dumps. Oh yeah. If 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 they hadn't sold this in the X Men uh, right. license, technically, we, we would not have X-Men, had Avengers, I mean, Iron Man, yeah, Marvel, Guardian not, of the Galaxy. They, they'd be dead, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah but, possibly the name would be around, but they would be a radically different company. At, at the same time, they they Fox. were that close. To, I mean, they were technically in bankruptcy. At they the same time, Fox is doing the opposite of what Marvel has done with their movie properties, and they're pissing all over the, the, the property, pretty much. Yeah, and it, 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 it sounds like from that interview that... Um, His name is Doom because he calls himself Doom in the chat rooms in America. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's minor. <laughs> that's minor. It's, it's more... I mean, to me, you know, his, his name can be Damashev, and when, when the family comes over here... You know, to Ellis Island, they change it to Doom. Well, I mean, how, how, however you want to get there, his name does not have to be Doom. <laughs> but it seems like they are taking. I mean, they are basically confessing that this is going to be a low budget movie. That's what I got out of that. Yeah, and, of that and they're trying to make show. it dark, right? Like like Batman. 
You know, they're yeah, trying to make it like Dark Knight. You know, we're doing the best with the resources we have. And that, that's not encouraging. But, but I think that's grasping for straws, making it dark. Absolutely. I mean, that's the opposite of what Marvel did with Guardians of the Galaxy. They said, we're going to make this thing as funny and as much fun as possible. And that worked. Absolutely. With a 70s soundtrack. And the, I mean, the sequel is going to have an 80s soundtrack and probably make a killing as well. Yeah. I mean, there, there was one point where uh, DC, I think it was in the last year, year or two, word had leaked out that their movies had a no-joke policy. Wow. That they, you are not allowed to make jokes in their movies. That's how, part of the pun, serious they were about being serious, which is 180 degrees the wrong way to go. Yeah, and DC, with their, like, they have like three universes right now in the movies. Yeah. What I, what I find interesting about DC is, uh, let's use the Green Lantern as a as an example. That movie was dreadful, <laughs> dreadful. But if you watch some of their animated things, uh, yes, oh, yeah, yeah. that you can rent, they're fantastic movies. They, they just have to take the script from those animated ones and put them into yeah. the uh, into the real ones. Absolutely. Like, like, uh, the Green Lantern First Flight. What a great movie it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you want a Wonder Woman movie? The Wonder Woman animated movie is terrific. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, and I, I don't know where you know where you uh, Canadian folks are, uh, in terms of the, the the you know what's available on your on your TV, but the both the Flash and the Gotham TV shows I think are terrific. Uh, even the the hang on, but the Flash series is kind of like Knight Rider, low budget. Yeah. No no <laughs> car, but a guy who runs fast. It's terrific. Where, whereas it. but whereas. Some of the uh, the the Flash animation animated fe- features, oh, had yeah. they converted that to the TV series, it would have been a, a, a phenom. Mm-hmm. I'm having a problem with Gotham. Um, I, I like the way that they portray the city and everything, but <laughs> it's Batman without Batman. Batman. Every minute I'm waiting. <laughs> When's Batman coming on? Yeah, it's yeah. Never coming on. <laughs> you know? And they're they're they're, you know, they have these uh, prequel characters in action and. You know, with, with every other scene, I'm like, oh, no, you know. <laughs> yeah, the same problem that uh, Smallville, Smallville did, which was uh, totally retroactively changing the entire universe to include everyone in, uh, you know, in uh, Clark Kent's young adult life. Mm, this is even never, worse. Gonna, the I, kid's I, like I nine. A, yeah, I, I, I never watched a second of Smallville because it looked horrible. It is. Uh, but... Oh, yeah. It lasted ten years, and yeah. so you may I you, you, you almost can't argue with success. But oh, but I, I can. I think, oh, yeah, I can argue I, with that one too. <laughs> yeah, I I think the current crop of shows are are definitely steps up from 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 Smallville. Absolutely, God yes. Yeah. See, because really, Flash is doing what the Fantastic Four movie should be doing is saying, well, budgetarily, our hands are kind of tied because. Let's be honest, we've tried this three times before, and none of them have been above adequate. So Fox isn't going to give us a ton of money. What you've got to do is you've got to pull a flash. Take what you have, and then try and find characters, comedy. Bring in those sorts of things that tend to be lacking in, as we mentioned, the DC movies, which are not anywhere near as good as their television. And versions of Fantastic Four and other, even to Gotham to some extent, you know, dark and grim and gritty. 
bring that. People want that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, 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 you know, you, you, you mentioned the animated, the DC animated universe, and one of the things that stands out there is how well cast the voice casting was oh. amazing on that. And yeah. I, 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 I think the cast in Flash is terrific, and the cast in Gotham is pretty good. Yeah. No, I just I think, think that they, people... they should have tied in the Flash TV series to their movie universe. Nah, that's no, that, that's that... that is not working for Marvel's Agents of Shield very very well. So I I, I think that's too much to ask. Russell, any they... more comic book news we should know about, or can I move on? Hit it, move on. Spider-Man and and wake up for news. Oh, we're gonna move on to book news then. I got one for you, and this is not only a uh, book news, but a free Audible pick, folks. If you are a member of Audible.com. If you're not, go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys. Get a free audiobook of your choice. And then once you have that free audiobook, pick a good one. I got another free audiobook for all you Audible members right now. Do you guys remember Adam Mansbach's Go the Fuck to Sleep? The children's book narrated by Samuel L. M. M. Effin Jackson. I don't mind saying fuck, but I want to say M. Effin. I censor myself. Well, treading lightly in the illustrious footsteps of Samuel Jackson, Breaking Bad's Brian Cranston will be the narrator for the Profane Nursery Rhyme sequel. The multiple Emmy winner is joining Adam Mansbach's You Have to Fucking Eat on Audible. And you can get this one for free. And uh, as of today, it is free on Audible. I have found that you cannot search for you have to fucking eat. You will not find it. Search for Mansbach, M-A-N-S-B-A-C-H, on Audible, and you will find You Have to Fucking Eat, which is narrated by Brian Cranston himself. And I'm going to play a little clip right now oh, wow. from You Have to Fucking Eat. Here we go, folks. The sunrise is golden and lovely. The birds chirp and twitter and tweet. You woke me and asked for some breakfast. So why the fuck won't you eat? The bunnies are munching on carrots. The lambs nibble grasses and bleat. I know you're too hungry to reason with, but you have to fucking eat. <laughs> so, it's not about uh, putting your child to bed. It's about making your child fucking eat. And I love this. Adam Mann's back is There is something back. to be said for that, that, uh, that parenting technique. The only problem is with Brian Cranston reading it, all I can picture is him getting shaved at the breakfast table as he talks about it. <laughs> but again, for some reason, you can't search for You Have to F and Eat. You have to actually search for Adam Mansbach, M-A-N-S-B-A-C-H. It's a four-minute unabridged audiobook, and it is free to all Audible members. So search for Mansbach. You will find it's called Free You Have to Fucking Eat. And uh, I'm sure that if you go to Amazon, you could find a uh, illustrated book. <laughs> I, I wouldn't give it to your children, but uh, for, <laughs> no. for, for parents, I'm sure you'll understand what it's like to have wonderful food on a spoon and the kid just won't fucking eat. <laughs> <laughs> Chicken fingers again? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I got one more story. You guys can add some more stories if you want, but... Uh, do you all remember Little House in the Prairie, this crappy Canadian TV show that was on for years and years? Was that Canadian? The prequel yeah. to Highway to Heaven. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Laura Ingalls Wilder, uh, uh, who wrote that story, it was uh, based on her life, but apparently the annotated autobiography of her life, which tells the true story, is out now, and it's called Pioneer Girl, the annotated by autobiography by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And this uh, delves deeper into her life and tells the true story. I mean, there's a lot of characters on that TV show and in that series that were amalgams of other people in her life. And, you know, the way that Mary went blind wasn't Scarlet Fever. And this, this is basically the true, true story of uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder's life out on the prairie. And uh, that's out now. Just saying Go the I fuck. hated Mrs. Olsen. <laughs> Go the fuck to sleep, Mrs. I've Olsen. Been into a few people. <laughs> Why would you fucking eat? <laughs> Ooh, I hated her. Uh, any other book book news out there, gentlemen? Other than the fact that comic books and other hooks is on Amazon. That's that's the biggest news I can think of. There we are. <laughs> All right. So we'll, I'll play the next jingle then. Books on film. Television. I got this one. Interstellar's co-writer Jonathan Nolan. Has anyone watched that yet? Interstellar. No. No. I am told. I did. He, he didn't. He gave it a six. I'm. I'm told to head straight to your IMAX theater. Yeah. This is not to be watched on the television. No. He said the space scenes were, you know, and and through the wormhole and stuff were unbelievable. Uh, the story has huge holes in it. Uh, I'm wait. I'm waiting on Matthew McConaughey to get buff again. Hey now, <laughs> but the, the co-writer Jonathan Nolan is adapting Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. Oh, into a TV series for who would be the best place to do it? HBO. So uh, uh, Nolan is already working with HBO on Westworld, which is another d- a project, and he is apparently going to be adopting one of his favorite book series, the Foundation series into a multiple-year TV series for HBO, and I can't wait for this. That is a sci-fi classic. I'm intrigued. Yes, this is a sci-fi nerd's dream, for sure. For sure. And a gentleman and lady, get ready your podcast picks, because we're doing this. Podcasts. Ooh, I got the first one. Uh, okay. Professor Allen, I did send you an email. I found this uh, sort of amateur podcast slash audiobook series. As opposed to professionals like us. Right. <laughs> Star Trek Outpost from GiantGnome.com. Uh, they've been <laughs> doing this for about five years. And I got to say, it, uh, the only reason I say amateur is because uh, not just the person who plays the computer on the show... Sounds like a computer. <laughs> you, you can differentiate the, the actors from the guy's cousin Larry who decided to do a voice. Uh, if you enjoy, this is strictly, spoiler alert, this is just for Star Trek nerds. If you're a Star Trek nerd, check out Star Trek Outpost at giantgnome.com or through your TuneIn app or through your podcast catcher app. Uh, interesting series based... So loosely on D- Deep Space Nine. It's based in Deep Space Three. Uh, the series gets better production-wise and uh, just narrator-wise as the, the show goes on. I'm at episode 29. There are 64 of them right now for 
64 hours of free entertainment. It's worth it. And the stories are, are, are quality. Star Trek caliber quality. But like I said, there are the odd actresses and actors on it that are obviously reading off, you know, the back of a cereal box. Just saying. Jimmy, what's your new podcast pick for the week? Well, actually, I've got a podcast pick, which is also a teaser. Uh, podcast is called The Sporkful. Okay. And I love a spork. About... It's a spoon and a fork. Yes, it's and a podcast. Which in Canada used to be included with every Kentucky Fried Chicken meal. And <laughs> That's when we first saw a spork. And it blew our minds. And it the came only with... place I know that, <laughs> that you can guarantee to get a spork is at Taco Bell. <laughs> okay. No, we get forks at Taco Bell. You're welcome, Paul, for that uh, piece of Americana. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, the Sporkful is um, a podcast about food, of course, and it's hosted by a guy named Dan Pashman. I've uh, been listening to it for years. He used to do it with another guy who left, started his own podcast, and only in the last, I don't know, three or four months, he got picked up by NPR. Nice. And now he's got guests from NPR on the show occasionally, and and other NPR shows are promoting him. Um, and it's about he said the the tagline is it's not for foodies, it's for eaters. There you go. Talks about the wrong way to eat a hot dog, and you know, <laughs> you know, if you cut a sandwich in half, do you cut it down the middle? Do you cut it diagonally? If you cut it diagonally, do you start eating from the pointy end or from the soft center? Mm. And uh, according to Dan, there's a right and wrong way to do everything. Um, agree or disagree, it, it's, a, it's a fun little show, you know, about a half an hour. And I got in contact with him uh, this week, and he's agreed to come on. We're hoping to have him nice. on the show December 3rd. Looking forward to that. Nice, nice. I am an eater and a foodie. <laughs> Get us some of that NPR juice. <laughs> hey, Alan, uh, why don't you talk about uh, podcast? It could yeah, be your we've own. Got a, we've got a couple podcast picks here. First of all, wanted to send the book guys shout outs to a couple of podcasts that I listen to that are approaching major milestones. Nice. A, sh a show called the Major Spoilers Podcast. Just released episode five hundred and ninety-nine. Wow, that's a so long next week run. will be the big, the big six hundred, and then also a terrific film criticism. Are they weekly? Because that's like ten years. Uh, yeah, that's weekly. Wow, well, that's almost ten years. Yeah, uh, I'm, I imagine they were more than weekly for a while. Just okay. doing that math, but uh, a terrific film criticism podcast, Battleship Pretension, which is weekly, will hit four hundred episodes. Wow. Uh, next week as well, so that they've been around just about eight years. A terrific show. And then I uh, also wanted to shout out to the podcast Walking Dead Wednesday, uh, who had me on as a guest to actually not talk about Walking Dead comic books, but to talk about the zombie-filled Afterlife with Archie comic books. Oh, yes. Which are, by the way, absolutely terrific. All right. Some of the best comics of 2014. Absolutely no doubt about it. And Emily's got one or two also. Yes. Uh, continuing on with our discussion of Fantastic Four news. Uh, the Fantasticast, 
recently had its 100th episode. It's a fantastic show about two British people looking at the history of Fantastic Four from the very beginning. Uh, so they're just about now entering the 70s, and they will be uh, having me on at some point to talk about 70s Fantastic Four. Nice. Ooh. Yes, uh, which I know nothing about because I <laughs> do 70s DC. So it'll be uh, interesting, to say the least. Well, uh, and speaking of fantastic ass, uh, what's on your mm-hmm. <laughs> docket, Craig? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> sorry, Classic. Emily. I've never seen your ass, Craig, so I don't. I can't say it's fantastic. <laughs> I'll, I'll vouch for it. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right. What you got, Greg? Emily, Emily, did you have another one, or do you want me to go? Well, I will pimp my own episode one last time. Why uh, not? I, I mentioned that I went back and I read Seduction of the Innocent, the most recent episode, number five, of my podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age, was all about Frederick Wortham's Seduction of the Innocent, the comics code, uh, and all of its reaching effects into the 60s, 70s, and beyond. Uh it was described recently as part audio drama, part academic essay, uh, because I called in several of my podcasting friends, including one of the guys from Fantasticast, uh, to read the various quotes. It is fully scored. It's an hour long. It took me six weeks to put together. I think it's pretty awesome. So, uh, <laughs> Available at Relatively Geeky Podcast. Dot blogspot.com. And actually go. do go to the post, because I, I put an actual bibliography on there of uh, citations. I went full pseudo-academic on this one, and there's a, there is additional reading, if you are interested. <laughs> you mean there's show notes? Oh, absolutely. It's about two pages of show notes. It's, uh, it's nice. very close to Adam Curry quality. Wow. <laughs> well. Of, sh- of show notes. <laughs> I, I make no... I, I'm not even. I'm not even going there. <laughs> so, Craig, what do you got? All right, I'm going to go with uh, our good friend, uh, God Emperor Joe, and his podcast Ozone Late Night. Yes. Which I know, Paul, you've been a guest on, and I've been a guest on, and I hear somebody else might be a guest on it soon. Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't want to ring my own bell, but. Oh, that's what, that's what this is for. The best kind of promotion is self-promotion, Jim. The plan is tomorrow night that we're gonna we're gonna sit down behind these bozo-nosed microphones and chat it up. Nice. Yeah, but I mean, all of Joe's podcasts are good. The uh, his daily fives are always uh, entertaining. And, yeah, five uh, minutes a day. I love it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a perfect uh, perfect pill to swallow. Hey now. Even though it's six, I'm going to, you know, it's six minutes though. He calls it the daily six minutes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, what's funny. It it was like a year and a half ago. He used to um, start out the show as like, hey, hey, it's Joe here with another five for you. And I listened to that show like I'd save them all up and I'd listen at the end of the week. And I'd have to listen to him say that four times in a row. And (laughs) it got so annoying. That's how we got together. I said it. You know, dude, you need to like change up the beginning of the show or something because it's really grinding on me. And I listened <laughs> to the show like a week later, and he just changed it. He goes, "Hey, welcome to your daily five. And I was like, "Yes, yes, <laughs> winning." 
Hey, Manfred, are you still with us? Yeah. Do you, do you listen to podcasts at all? Not really, but I wrote down all the ones you said because I'm nice. really going to be interested in, <laughs> in listening to them. Getting That's... tired of listening to the music and the news, and it's about an hour, uh, hour and a half uh, drive home from work. So, yeah, I'm going to uh, – I wrote all these ones down. I'm going to have a listen uh, as, I, as I go home. I do like – and it's not, it's not a podcast, but I do listen to Coast to Coast uh, sometimes. Nice. If you're – it's a radio show. And I believe they do have a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I think he does. Um, and then a friend of mine who's into conspiracy theories turned me on to this guy in uh, in Toronto called The Spaceman. And I think he's on Saturday nights. Um, some of it's uh, yeah, a little hard to follow, but uh, yeah, interesting stuff. No. <laughs> no, no, listen, if you're into conspiracy theories, you want to check out noagendashow.com. I will yes. do that. <laughs> I will do that. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. And uh, I'm going to ask you all: Have you all heard the new Star Wars movie name? Yes. The yeah. fourth. Right. The fourth movie in the series. <laughs> I heard it on uh, on Ozo Nightmare today. <laughs> and and to me, this is a good sign. It's called Star Wars. The Force Unleashed, and it, it, which basically means that the first three and only three movies that ever existed, the Force was just not unleashed yet. And now that we have, now that we have proper CGI, yeah, the Force, uh, Paul, the Force Unleashed is the video game. The movie is the Force Awakens. Oh, even better. Yes, you're right. Oh, I thought the Force Unleashed you're right, was you're going right, to be the right. uh, parody of the movie. Thank you <laughs> for <laughs> correcting me, Professor Allen. Hey, no, I'm the class act. Even no, better. <laughs> Even no better. <laughs> Thanks, Professor. The Force Awakens, which means, of course, the Force was asleep in the first three movies. And uh, with CGI and uh, you know, technology the way it is now, the Force is awake, and we will see some proper CGI battles in action. <laughs> and we won't I, see I, children's I, toys based on little action figures sitting down at a table talking. Well, George Lucas wanted to call it the midichlorians awake, but that just was too... That, that didn't fit on the marquee. Right. <laughs> it's better than John Carter. Uh, that, was, hey. that was a major marketing fail if ever I saw That's one. That's exactly right. Good movie. Not a marketing. bad movie. Mm-mm. No. I remember uh, in class, and I always asked my kids about the movie reviews this two years ago, and I'm like... You know, I said, guys, what do you? Uh, what's a good movie out there? They said, sir, it's not titled right, but go see John Carter. It was definitely not titled right. It should be called The Martian Chronicles or something. It yeah. was not titled right. Even I found it later after it had gone done its run in theater. I said, well, why the f wouldn't they title it something similar to the book? I would have been there first day. It's like calling Raiders of the Lost Ark Henry Jones Jr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why would you do that? Listen, I've got I've to get going. Uh, we, we're all going to get going, so we're going to play the R2-D2 budgie. This is an actual bird who uh, has imitated R2-D2. And after that, we'll close off the show. And we'll all, right. we'll all get going. So hang on, hang on. Here we go. Yeah, R- yeah. R2-D2 budgie, just for the hell of it. For our listeners. Because they like R2-D2. This is an actual budgie. Gets better. (laughs) 
great. I budget. want one. That's great. That is and, great. And he's he's blue, white, and gray, and black. And with that, I'm gonna say, thank you, Manfred. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Alan and Emily. It was great. You're welcome. Thanks, Loved everyone. Love it, Paul. And we're gonna play this. Great fun. We will be back next week. We'll let the budgie continue. We will be back next week with who knows. Lots of people. Thanks, guys. We'll see you at the Appreciate same it. Time. Great talk. And book we'll get the book. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guide Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel. Go to your local bookstore, Amazon, get comic books and other hooks.